Hello. Hello. And welcome to Choose Your Own Cold Open Adventure. Oh, no. So I have two options. One of them, yes, I have been saving for three weeks. Because <laughs> conveniently after we recorded, I saw this. Okay. And I'm going to open this beer real quick. Nice. Ooh, did you hear that? Nice ASMR moment. Brought to you by Shiwaraku. Yes. Stay um, tuned to see what we're drinking. <laughs> The second one I encountered last week, and I did not know it was going to be a cold open potential, but then this one thing happened, and I said, damn, we got to talk about that. So, here are your options. The one I've been saving for three weeks is about someone named the Raccoon Whisperer. Mm, You did say I have to tell you about this next time I see you. Yes, and I decided to save it. Number two... Is about Mike Tyson entering the ring again. Let's go with the raccoons. Okay. Wise choice. My trash pandas. So there is this man who has a YouTube channel. Oh, God. His name is James Blackwood. You can't see, but as we're doing this, Beth Ann's (laughs) pulling it up on the TV. And this man, it goes further than being a national treasure. This man should be given the Medal of Freedom from the president. (laughs) Because literally his contribution to this world is just, it's unparalleled to anything I've seen. So James Blackwood. Oh, look at him. I love him already. He, for 20 years, according to the YouTube comments, has been feeding raccoons outside his, I'm thinking it's Boston or Maine because he has Celtics logo on his shirt. Yeah. It's Boston or Maine home. And I'm going to play it for you. Close your eyes. Don't look. I need you to witness this. Let me turn it up. Look at the chunk. I love them. There's so many. Holy shit. So let me commentate. Right now he's about to throw a bucket of grapes at 25 (laughs) raccoons. They're so So he can get out the door to feed them more food. And then he literally leaves his camera behind. He has a camcorder because you can hear the noise and he zooms in. I love him. And then let's just witness it. Look at them eat. (laughs) They just go chump, 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 chump. But let me tell you folks, as Leah is marveling. I'm going to cry because they're so cute. I love them so much. Folks, these are, we are talking the cream of the creme of chunks oh oh ghosts are going at it oh yeah yeah they fight a little bit but then they settle it why are they so fat because they're getting ready to hibernate (laughs) they're all cream of the creme of chunks chunks supreme this is my new hobby Uh, i'm gonna just start feeding here let me fast forward a little bit so now he has eight pounds of hot dogs that he's holding (gasps) in a tupperware box there's they're so happy so what's happening right now is the raccoons are just surrounding him as he sits on this bench outside on his lap they are all over him like there's one couple on his shoulder eating a hot dog over his shoulder and then there's just this one in the far left corner that's so polite and he just stands up once in a while it's like for me okay i'll wait please for me while the other ones are just rude Oh, he is very polite. Look how they hold the hot dog, though. They grab it with um, their little... Um, yeah. Um, and then... These, these things, ha- these raccoons, they have to weigh a good 20 pounds each. They are chunky. Yeah. And then he'll like... I don't know if I can show... Yeah, that's right. He'll feed them 
So in this video, it's 30 minutes. And yes, I watched the whole thing. I don't blame you. <laughs> he feeds them two pounds of grapes to get out the door. Eight pounds of hot dogs. Then he goes and grabs cookies for them. They need dessert. They do. Well, no, no, no. That's just cleansing the palate. Oh, okay. And then he brings them out more hot dogs. Oh. And then he brings them dried dog food. Oh, is this a nightly thing? I think he does this either weekly or nightly. Okay. But he he like will literally pet the raccoons and the raccoons let him. There is a level of trust here. I want him to adopt me. <laughs> Do you think he would adopt me? Because that's Well, my he dream. also has two cats. One of them's named Cotter. And in one of his videos, he has a pillow that has Connor's face on it. And it says Connor underneath <laughs> it. Like this man... We need to preserve him at all. Yes. Put him in the same archive bunker as Betty White. Yes, we must protect him. Wear your mask for Raccoon Man. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. Anyway, I'm Leah. I'm Bethann. And this is Shiwa Rakio. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haunt you. Let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is Shiwa Rakio. It is now Christmas season. Woo. Which means we're going to open presents. Yes. Because it's December 2nd when we're recording this. And I've had Beth Ann's Christmas present since like before Halloween. Yeah. And I've been dying to give it to her. And I want everyone to hear the reaction. So. Who wants to go first? M- mine's probably easier to open one. Yeah. Why don't you open yours? This is part one of your gift. Okay. I ordered you something else. But when I ordered it, it said it's back ordered, which I didn't know at the time I ordered it. So you'll probably get it like sometime in January. That's okay. Everything is on. Everything's back ordered right now. Yeah. So I got this too. It says Odd Sprout on it. This is is funny. This is a cool company. Read her business card. Hello, I am Liz. Nice to meet you. Owner, designer, villain enthusiast. (laughs) I love it. It's cute. Oh, it's, it's a, got a little cute little skull. It's a gray aesthetic. A little spooky bat. All right. Ah, it's black cat earrings. I love them. <laughs> spooky baby earrings. Spooky baby earrings. I love them. I would put them in if I was going to be seen by more than one person right now. But I, I will wear them tomorrow. I understand. As I ring the Salvation Army bell. Oh, are you going? <laughs> yes. Big of you. In all my spookiness. <laughs> I love them. Happy Thank holidays. Thank you. I'm going to try to do this one-handed, too. You probably won't be able to open the box one-handed just because they... The shipper packaged it uh, very well. I like the company name, Snarky Flare. Yes. We're already heading in a good direction. Etsy. Check them out. Is this a nutcracker? No, it's not. Oh, okay, I was about to say, like, I mean, that's fine. I have, like, a full collection of them. It is not a nutcracker. So right now, Bethann's just opening this big, massive roll of uh, bubble wrap, so you can't really tell what it is. Shut the fuck up, woman! Where the hell did you find this? Etsy! And she's not the only one that makes them! Now I can pray. (laughs) Okay. All right. What is it? Tell the people what it is. I got to tell some backstory first. So me and Leah have an inside joke. Okay. I was like, there's no way this can exist. And I looked on Etsy and there's like six people that sell them. And that was the best one. This is fantastic. I love it. Literally. 
me and Leah have had a running joke since we started the podcast. Because <laughs> we consider Stevie Nicks our patron saint of this podcast. Obviously. And we always say when we're going to go do something, say your Hail Stevies. <laughs> <laughs> say a few Hail Stevies and you'll be fine. I know. We're a bunch of sacrilegious people. I'm sorry. It's I'm fine. You. But so Leah has gotten me <laughs> a prayer candle. It's a prayer candle. <laughs> with patron saint stevie nicks on it we'll have to post it yes this is literally everything i wanted and more <laughs> i love this so much this is why i texted you like on october 15th and i was like can i give you your christmas <laughs> present now i love this so much <laughs> i'm gonna put it next to my rock books that i have there you which go which isn't many but a couple because i mainly read articles this is amazing i'm gonna put it right here for right now yeah don't don't let it fall yeah all right that was welcome to christmas on she will rack you yes now we've probably wasted 30 minutes of your time. Yeah, 10 minutes. All right. You can Some it. of that will be cut out. Yeah. Okay. So last time I talked about the queen of rock and roll herself, Tina Turner. Yes. Which if you haven't listened to that episode, and I rarely do this, please go listen to that episode. It's, she's just truly a legend. Her entire essence is just perfection. She is everything from resilience to wit that I strive to be. So please go listen to that. Episode. Upgrades people. Upgrades. <laughs> so as we approach the end of the year, I went through our topic wish list that we have. Oh yeah. And like nothing felt right for holiday time. I know we're not doing Christmas episodes, but I also like don't want to choose one where there's like a lot of tragedy that happens. Bing Crosby. Yeah. Like I want <laughs> something that's a little more upbeat, a little bit more cheery. And, you know, I went and I like, well, I'm going to have to go look through artists outside of my list. And I found a couple that I was thinking, um, but I couldn't really find one that felt right because I'm an Enneagram four and I go off simply about what I feel <laughs> <laughs> the core of my decision making. But then I remembered someone I go, what about that old woman that we mentioned that plays guitar that plays the electric guitar? What's her name? She was off the little Richard episode. And I just didn't really know much about her. Maybe her name a little bit. So I go to Wiki and go to her Wikipedia page. And there it says, the godmother of rock and roll. And I just knew what needed to happen was we need to go from the queen of rock and roll to the queen regent of rock and roll. And you can think the crown for that language. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so here we are covering Sister Rosetta Tharp. So one thing, I don't have this in my notes, so I'm going to kind of go off here. Yesterday, folks, if you, if you listen to podcasts, some weird things happen like that kind of like confirm of covering an artist for me. Like, for example, Tina Turner had the same middle name. I was from almost the identical same town name as me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I just get these little confirmations from the universe. Like, hey, that's the one to cover. Yeah, no, it happens. There's and like a grand four thing. There's, there's always things that line up. It's it's the it's the patron Saint Stevie Nicks. Yes. Standing over me and is just guiding the way. Exactly. But yesterday, and I'm gonna give a big shout out to Quan. Quan was on our podcast hey, with Thomas Startia. And he was telling me about this podcast called Dissect. And they cover for one season an entire album and then each episode they dissect the song on that album. And so I was like yeah, I'm down to listen. This sounds like right up my alley because, mm -hmm. you know, always love listening to other rock podcasts other than 
my own, which I don't even really listen to. I just edit it and get it out of the way. <laughs> just put it out there. And yeah. Go, and hope <laughs> for the, next episode. Yeah. Hope for the best. But they had one on Beyonce's Lemonade, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. So I knew it, time to start with that one. And then they start talking about her song, Don't Hurt Yourself, which features Jack White. Like she collabed with him. And I guess a whole collaboration started by her saying, I want to be in a rock band with you. Like her going to Jack White after like an event, I'm sure, mm-hmm. saying, I would love to be in a rock band with you. And, and you don't say no to Beyonce. No, you don't. Absolutely <laughs> not. Like, how dare you? And they did this collab for Lemonade. And the narrator, can't think of the podcast host, goes to this whole thing of like, you know, you would think like a rock thing and her being in the hip hop and rap that they wouldn't collide, but actually they have more roots in common. And then they just start talking about Sister Rosetta Tharp. There it is. And then after talking about her, they go immediately talking about Tina Turner. It's all connected. And I was just like, there it is. Patron Saint Stevie Nicks. She's watching out. She's watching over. Uh, even though she's not dead. She's still a patron saint. <laughs> Dolly Parton is also a patron yeah, saint. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Dolly Parton, I think, is one of the people, no matter what you believe in, you just see Dolly Parton. You're like, you know, she's all right. Back to Sister Rosetta Tharp. I just was not prepared for how incredible this woman is, how much of a pioneer she was, but also for like how this industry would remember her later on, which I'll talk about in a little bit it will be in rant form so be prepared there's a lot of rants yeah as i do as i do this also is going to be a little bit shorter of an episode and that's just because there just is not a ton of information on her but it's okay we gave you 15 minutes of bullshit at the <laughs> yeah we 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 basically commentated raccoons being fed are you not entertained by that <laughs> are you not entertained <laughs> so that's that's the quality you're getting here at she rock you <laughs> But um, yeah, there's not a ton of information on her, sadly, as when we cover a Rolling Stone or something like that. But make no mistake, she is incredibly important. And I would argue she is the most important artist we may have covered yet. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into it. Rosetta Nubbin was born March 20th, 1915 in Cotton Plant, Arkansas, which is like I was reading about that town Apparently they want to be called Richmond and they're like, nah, you can't do that. So they're like, fuck it. Cotton plant. Okay. <laughs> so that's pretty much how that came to be. Great. Um, but researchers say her name was possibly Rosether Atkins. They're just not sure. Not much is known about her father other than he was a singer. Her mother was a singer, mandolin player, was also a, I don't know if she was a deaconess, pastor. Unfortunately, I don't know what her official title was, but she was involved in the Pentecostal holiness branch called Church of God in Christ. And this, as you can imagine, as we have covered many a times, is where Rosetta would discover her passion for music. And, you know, churches are a great place to yeah. start somewhere. So when did Sister Rosetta start singing and playing guitar, you ask? Oh, around the age of four. Casual. And she was just hailed as a prodigy and soon her mother would take notice at age six her and her mother were touring with an evangelical group around the nation and she was billed as a quote singing and playing guitar miracle which 
I can't speak for Sister Rosetta, but if I was a six-year-old and got called a musical miracle, I would be having like the red carpet rolled out for me. Yeah. Being like, move, bitch. Get a big head. You're in the way of my juicy juice. Like, <laughs> or something along those lines. Like, it would not bode well for me. But uh, from there, she really just starts becoming famous at that prodigy level status. For her childhood... I mean, for her whole childhood, she's just traveling Mm -hmm. in this gospel evangelical circuit with her mom playing and singing. And I'm kind of like torn about that. Like, so she was born 1915. So she's one of the earliest artists that we've done. Yeah. Like way early. Probably the earliest. Yeah. I think you're right. So like, I know it's like a really a different time, especially because that's when like a lot of like traveling evangelical like movements were happening. It couldn't have been like an easy childhood. Because on one side, it's great using your talents at a young age. I like that. But the road is very difficult. And this is an extremely hot take, but I'll put it lightly. Where is the line between using her gifts for God and some sort of side act? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry if you're offended by that. We talked about Stevie Nicks being a patron saint in this episode. <laughs> so maybe this podcast is not for you. This may not be the episode for you. But anyway. I just know it was the 1920s, but children, like, whether they're next Johann Sebastian Bach or not, they kind of deserve some normalcy. Anyway, just my thoughts. So I can't say if that weighed on her or not, but I do know that gospel music and the evangelical community really plays a big role in her life. When she's around 10, I think that's wrong. I think she was 16. I think I misstated that. But anyway, when she gets closer to her teenage years, we'll say that. Her and her mother settle in Chicago where they regularly performed at a church, but then they also were touring as well. Um, two things happened when she moved to Chicago. She started experimenting with her music style and began incorporating Delta blues and New Orleans jazz. Second, she's picking up an electric guitar instead of an acoustic one. Because this is right at 1930. Six. Yeah, I was going to say, how did she get an electric guitar? Because they were not common. No. No, she's literally like one of the very first people to pick up an electric guitar. Because as we learned in the the Fender Gibson episode, like we weren't mass producing those until the 50s. Yeah, exactly. Now, this sounds fine, right, to us. But this is 1930s. And she's in a conservative gospel world. How do you think this is going to go over? Probably not well. <laughs> well, stay tuned for the answer. Cut to break. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but when she's 19, she marries a Church of God in Christ preacher named Thomas Thorpe. Hence where she gets the last name. It doesn't last long. And soon she's moving to New York City with her mom. But she does keep the last name. Which I think it sounds nice. Sister Rosetta Thorpe. I like that name. At age 23, she records some songs for Decca Records the same label as Bing Crosby during the time. And once released, those songs make her an instant sensation. And those songs were Rock Me, That's All, My Man, and Lonesome Roll. I'm sorry, Lonesome Road. The secular community loves her. But the gospel community are appalled. And because to them, you can't mix secular and spiritual lyrics you can't have that secular sound and you can't have that spiritual component. The two cannot coexist. But as she continues to write spiritual music and perform at clubs, she would continue to like 
have that community just turn their back on her, which really sucks because literally all she's doing is bringing jazz and blues on an electric guitar, but she has pretty like spiritual gospel lyrics. Um, Not every single song, but most of them do. And I can imagine that being a really painful experience for her because like I said, we don't know. Yeah. Because there's just not a ton written about her, unfortunately. So I'm kind of putting some creative spin on it, but I can imagine that sucks. Yeah. No way around it because it's the community that raised her. And in a way, she's kind of doing her evangelical thing. She's reaching out to people and she's being shunned for being different. She's also criticized for playing guitar outside of the church, especially for being a woman playing guitar. I don't really understand why that is the case because I just don't have the cultural knowledge of it. But I guess that was taboo back then. Because guitar men are possessive and elitist and gatekeepy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) One thing I do have the cultural knowledge on is the best compliment people could come up with in regards to her guitar playing was she played like a man. And that's on being (laughs) gatekeepy. (laughs) But it's interesting that that's still kind of a stigma 90 years later. I was thinking about that. I'm like, hmm, I still hear that. Yeah. From other female guitarists that I know. And we'll talk more about her guitar playing and how influential that was later on. But I love her like backhanded compliment to that in a quote from uh, Richmond magazine. She says, can't no man play like me. She says whenever she was compared to her male peers, I can play better than a man. Yeah, you can. And she can. But let me tell you, everyone listening to my voice, Please go and watch this YouTube performance of Up Above My Head. We're going to have to watch it during the break or sometime. Because, like, it's like, I'll play, like, 30 seconds about it. But she shreds so fucking hard. I couldn't believe what I was hearing for, like, the 1950s. Yeah, this is, like, pre-Van Halen, pre-Hendrix, pre-everybody. Like, like, she invented shredding. Yeah, she did. You don't understand. She did. (laughs) Like, this woman is one of the best guitar players I've heard. Like if you put her in a room in 2020 with other guitar players, she would still smoke them. Yeah. Smoke them. Like she is so good. I literally made Josh like stop playing Xbox to watch it. (laughs) How did he feel about that? He was fine with it. A lot of this, like of what you're hearing, he, I have like read certain parts to him to like, like, cause I just always get in this thing of like, can you believe this? And I just (laughs) stop what he's doing. But despite all this, all this criticism from the gospel community, all this criticism from the male music industry, she still continues to write and play and sing. In 1944, she writes and records a song called Strange Things Happening Every Day. To Lee and the Shredder community, I'm sure that's a long way of saying strange days. Yes, it is. (laughs) But anyway, this song is considered the first rock and roll song of all time. Huh. Like, this is where the world of blues and jazz and the world of... This is when it birthed rock and roll. So I want you to think about that. And here's the rant, the tea, the gist. Rock and roll has been marketed. Yes, you heard the word choice, marketed, in what we call its heyday as a predominantly male industry Mm -hmm. with the occasional female singer or front woman here and there just for some spice possessed with, with hand motion of spice and what i am telling you today 
is rock and roll was not started by a predominantly male demographic that possesses the industry. It started with this woman, a black woman out of Arkansas with the guitar chops that men of the times were afraid to admit were way better than them. Mic drop. Yeah. Thank you. Insert mic drop sound effect. Yeah. So I just get like sick sometimes of like the messages we are marketed to and are just expected to take with like a spoonful of sugar. And I feel like this is like one of those cases like, oh, it's hot take. Like it's always been a male industry. That's what it is. You're in that world. Right. And there is some truth to that. But it's like this woman comes along is like, no. And she like defined the whole genre. But they won't tell you that because they don't want women to have the spotlight. Yeah. And it's been that way for 60, 70 years. That's why we exist. But also that's why podcasts like the muses exist. Yes. Because it's fucking time that we start talking about these people. And not that other one we won't talk about. Yeah. (laughs) Folks, please go support the muses. I'm going to put the plug in here. Like, please go support the muses. They're going through a really sucky situation right now. Yeah. I'm not going to get into it, but they are incredible creators and we love them. Go check out the social to get the full details. Anyway, so moving on. In 1946, Sister Rosetta went to a performance in New York City and saw Marie Knight perform for the first time. And she was taken aback from her performance that she just goes to her home shortly after and asks for her to tour with her. Just casually. That would lead to a partnership forming amongst a duo. And they would tour, write, and perform songs together. Now, it's hard enough being a woman, a black woman. During that time, I would argue today as well, even though hopefully we're trying to get better. Imagine being a queer woman. Wait, what? So here's the rumor. Rumor on the street. And me being the nosy bitch I am, you knew I had to go seek it out. Yeah. Because the rumor goes that her and Knight were in a romantic relationship for several years. Wiki likes to deny it, but I had to do some searching because I sincerely believe that Wikipedia page has not been updated. It needs to be updated because I had to go read like more articles than I normally do to research. And I read a good amount, yeah. but like about double than what I normally read. And according to her biographer, Gail Wind, and full disclosure, I didn't have time to read the book. But I never do. Yeah. (laughs) But I pulled it off. um, Where am I pulling this from? Some other LGBTQ sites that have the excerpts from the book. And she confirms that she was bisexual. Hell yeah. Yeah. And I actually love this sentence about her sexuality because remember, she is in gospel, 1930s, and this isn't outwardly accepted then. No. <laughs> so, but this is the power of embracing yourself. She says, for homosexuals in her audience, rumors about Rosetta's sexuality might have been liberating, an invitation to look for telltale signs of affirmation of their own veiled existence. Oh. Just by her existing in yeah. the 1930s, made people feel like like okay like like that's awesome yeah she started a lot of conversation yeah and it's like she wasn't it's an open secret is what it was but it's pretty much confirmed i can confident i can pretty much 90 percent say yeah she was 
but like I said, there's not as much information and we'll get into a little bit more about that. But anyway, so they were like together for like, I want to say five or six years. So a pretty long amount of time, like they were living together in Richmond, but around 1949 is when they split and Marie went solo. And then she also like, I don't know if I'm going to keep this in or not, but she like lost her kids that year in a fire Ooh, in a house fire. Her kids were living in Newark with their grandmother. Ooh, Yeah, it was really sad around that time as well. Her career is unfortunately taking a downturn as other artists are emerging and rock starts changing. I guess there was another artist named Mahala, Mahalia Jackson that was starting mm-hmm. like started rising more in popularity than her. Yeah. Also at that same time, like I mentioned, she's celebrating being a homeowner in Richmond and she hosts a concert at the Altria Theater, which is a big theater from my understanding. I've, You've been to it. I had tickets there. I think it's where I was supposed to see Macklemore and it got snowed out. Oh, uh, okay. But For, I've been by it. I know where it is. Yes. And why would that be a big deal, celebrating homeownership? And th- this is how I like to interpret it. She was renting all her life and living in New York City. And let me tell you, that ain't cheap. No. And when she moved to Richmond and bought a house, she bought it in an all-white neighborhood, which is what I love about her. And it's a very nice, like, 1950s-style fuck you (laughs) (laughs) like hello fellow neighbors hi here i am i live here now and at her home i love this so much according to richmond magazine she had a three-car garage lush carpets a rose garden and a horse named margaret okay i love it in 1951 she had 25,000 quote 25,000 paying customers for the wedding of her of her third marriage which she also had a performance afterwards and that performance would later be produced into an album. Casual. Somewhere in the 60s, she moved to London briefly to perform for more like blues loving fans because, and I feel like we touched on this maybe in the Who episode or something, like their, blues was really having a resurgence in the 60s. The The UK audience was a little bit behind in the blues surge. Yeah. It took a while to get over there and we had moved on to something else. And because Elton John and all of them started in the blues. Right. We were all like buddy holly <laughs> yeah no exactly so like they're really coming into blues i have to talk about this one performance though she does in london so she performs at i think it's an abandoned railroad station where she performs on one platform and the audience watches from the other one that's cool it was televised and she arrived in the most amazing way possible in a horse-drawn carriage while wearing a fur coat that's how i, I want to arrive everywhere <laughs> I love it. I love it because I also can see Tina Turner doing that. Like I see that same energy. Yeah. Like the same energy in Tina is the same energy I see in Sister Rosetta Tharp. She also played the electric guitar while on a wet platform because she doesn't give a damn. And I love that about her. She's like, I'm putting on a show. Yeah. Rain or not, I'm putting on a show. So for the like the 50s and 60s, like I said, not much is known other than she's touring and she's playing. Um, in 1970s, she did suffer a stroke and then suffered another one in 1973, which led to her passing where she passed in Philadelphia. However, she left behind a laundry list of artists she inspired. Like it appears every rock and roll artist of notoriety from the 50s and 80s has her to thank because here's just a few that credit 
Sister Rosetta Tharp as one of their main influences. We know Little Richard. We know Little Richard. Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis Presley, Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner, Chuck Berry, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Keith Richards. And I just pulled a small sample because I didn't want to read all of them. (laughs) I could have. I would have lengthened it a little bit, but you know, you probably would have turned it off. In 2004, the Library of Congress took Sister Rosetta's song Down by the Riverside. It was chosen for their National Recording Registry. In 2016, there was a musical called Marie and Rosetta, written about Knight and Tharp's relationship. And in 2018, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influencer. And according to Wiki, this is a category for those whose music predated rock and roll but had an impact on the evolution of rock and roll inspired rock's leading artist. So here's my question. She's obviously very important to rock history, even though Rock and Roll Hall of Fame identifies her as an early influencer. I don't agree with that. I think she was a rock artist. I think she was the very first rock artist, to be quite honest with you. And I mean, if our podcast is like the audiobook of the Rock and Roll Bible, we are talking about Rock and Roll Eve here. That's Man, we the are, best analogy I've ever heard. I feel so bad for the <laughs> sacrilegious things I'm saying today, but I have no other context to describe the importance of this woman than to bring spiritual terms into it. I mean, you need to understand the arethalness, the internalness of what she did. So here's my question. Why the fuck do we not know more about her? And why is she not a part of the conversation about rock and roll as much as she should be? Because the narrative is led by white men. Yes. That's Straight the answer. White. Straight white we're men. Gonna keep, we're going to start an FAQ. And we're going <laughs> to ask these questions. We'll start a website someday. We're going to keep asking these questions of why is this? And the answer will always be... Straight white men. <laughs> anyway. So the Richmond Magazine, which I'm quoting a lot. They actually did a great piece about her. Is um, her house available to go tour when all this I is look, over? I looked it up. And... It's, it's got to be preserved. It's still. St- okay, we're I getting say to that. that. We're getting to that. That's another thing that pisses me off because uh. this is a quote from them. Beginning in the 1920s and for decades to follow, she came, she saw, she rocked, and then people forgot. And Essence takes it a step further and says, the name may not ring a bell. But Tharp is the person your favorite musicians often cite as one of their early inspirations. A queer black woman emerged from the South to create a radical sound that influenced and defined an era. And to give you a glimpse of how people had forgot about her, in an article from Q Voice, it says, quote, In 2008, a concert was held to raise funds for a gravestone that was placed later that year. So before then... According to um, another article I read from Afropunk, before then, her grave in Philadelphia was unmarked. That home you're talking about does not have a historical preservation. Altria Theater, from my understanding, does not also have a historical preservation for her. And I just find it so surprising that despite the laundry list of artists who credit her as their influence... She does not get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the title I think she deserves about 47 years after her passing. Okay. 
There are many reasons to fuck the Rock Hall of Fame, but like this is this is one of them. Let me give you some perspective on why this pisses me off. And yes, we're in the Beth Ann Rance section of notes. I told you it was coming. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was created in 1983. Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard are inducted in 1986. Carl Perkins and Aretha Franklin were inducted in 1987. Rolling Stones containing Keith Richards were inducted in 1989. Johnny Cash was inducted in 1992. Eric Clapton was inducted three times before the year 2000, twice for a band he was in, once as a solo artist, and Jeff Beck was inducted in 2009. So while I'm glad she has a place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I hope we can do better because this beautiful black queer woman of this importance should have been the first fucking person on their list. Straight white men. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want to end on a negative note because as much as that pissed me off. It's Christmas. (laughs) It is Christmas. Despite my emo loving, converse drawing, heart on my sleeve personality. I just hope you can see how integral she was. And I get upset when I see such injustice like this. Like I truly do. Because I should have been hearing about this woman. I should have been hearing more about her. I think I've just started hearing about her in the last year. You know why? Because the conversation finally picked up about her in 2015. Because everyone stopped talking about her for 30 years. Yeah. Even a little bit when she was alive. No one was talking about her. And it wasn't until 2015 that really things started revving up for her in the conversation. But anyway, um, I want to end with a story about who she was as a person. Because with someone who had to go through so much rejection and discrimination, it didn't kill her spirit or soul. After all, she is a gospel singer. So once again, this is from the Richmond Magazine. Here's the story, and this is a direct quote. Musician and producer Stu Gardner, whose father, William Gardner Jr., was a member of the Dependable Boys, a group that recorded with Tharp, recalls those days with fondness. My dad took us over to the house. He used to work for her, he says. He was crazy about her. She was a wonderful sweet lady, loved to laugh. She had an infectious laugh. Her laugh could kill you. When she would start laughing, you were going to laugh. Gardner, who was around five years old when he met Tharp, says she was like part of his family. Quote, my father had three sisters and she was like the fourth sister, he says. My father worked at McSweeney's, which was a butcher shop. They used to lay him off and on and she would financially help him a lot. And she used to buy everybody clothing. She was like our godmother. Gardner's story is an aberration. There you have it. There you have it. Sister Rosetta Tharp. Well, what are you drinking? <sighs> Why did you zoom this in so far? Because I'm fucking blind. Um, and I refuse to go to the eye doctor. <laughs> That's a problem. I know. I need to go. It was on my list. <laughs> anyway, what are we drinking? Lee and I are both drinking the same thing. We've been getting kind of lazy lately. And I think just the pandemic has just made us lazy. We also keep, I keep finding cool beers. Yeah. And I'll buy, like, I have to buy a whole pack. You can't yeah. buy one. But no, this is good. This is called, <laughs> I didn't know the title till now, Project Happy Whole, H-O-L-E, 
a days with a z with a z and that z is synonymous with the gas station sheets and this is a donut ale handcrafted limited release one pint six ounces of alcohol six percent alcohol and let me tell you yeah six percent sorry this is the downside of beth ann going first as i sit here and drink my beer and i am <laughs> drunk right now like i'm feeling this beer hence why you're always saying straight white men straight white men <laughs> fuck the system <sighs> anyway uh, it's really good and it's, it doesn't taste like donuts though i'm really disappointed no. are these like okay I'm literally sitting here thinking these are oranges. Orange they're motherfuckers. Holes. But they're donut holes. <laughs> they don't look like donut holes. They look like something. They look like uh, a... <laughs> they look like testicles. <laughs> it's a is very this, bad drawing. This is really bad, but is this what happens when men get vasectomies? They just like... They just run they around. They just chill on these like... <laughs> it looks like if Rick and Morty drew a donut hole. It really does. I don't like the art style. It's a little concerning i understand what they were trying to go for because this is like an edgy look that a lot of beer companies go for but i don't know for sheets no i like it yeah uh it's good it's real strong six percent's a lot of alcohol y'all it doesn't taste like donut holes though it tastes like i can taste a hint of cinnamon or vanilla is that where it's not a cinnamon i don't know why i thought it was cinnamon donut hole but it's not. It's good. Now you say vanilla, I can taste it. It's brewed with sheets, donut holes. And if you're not from the east coast of the United States, sheets is a gas station convenience. Yeah. It sounds okay. Gas station makes it sound gross. It's a convenience store chain. Oh, sorry. I used to work there. They're fantastic. Honestly, of all of the part-time jobs I've had in my life, I would go back to sheets. I would not go back to Bath and Body Works. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you left us a review. We'll even read it on air if it's nice. If it's not, then we won't. Uh, special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. We now have a Facebook group. It's She Will Rock You Podcast fam. It's real fun. We make a playlist. Come join us. Yeah. You can follow us individually at Beth Ann Tarpley and at LeahElizabeth.J. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at podcast at gmail.com. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. <laughs>